There's no question that the Bible is an amazing book, but is it trustworthy? Is it really something you can base your life on? Let's find out. Here's Pastor David. Agatha Christie created a character, okay? Guy named Hercule Poirot, okay? Belgian guy, detective. There were 70 episodes on TV, I think the BBC or whatever, uh, of, of these adventures of Hercule Poirot. He was this uh, man, this kind of strange little detective with a little mustache, and he drank little uh, things of liqueur, and it's just a very interesting character. And the guy who played him <clears throat> is a guy by the name of David Suchet. Now, if you have ever seen Poirot, any of those episodes, you know that David Suchet did an excellent job of just being that character. And he's just so fun to watch. But a little prior to when he started making those, he was a famous actor in England. And in about 1986, he was in a hotel in Seattle, Washington, in a bathtub. He's about my age, so incredibly young and handsome, um, something like that at the time. This is 1986, and, and, and Mr. Suchet had been brought up with no religion, none at all. His father, he was Jewish by birth. His father was agnostic, and his mother was an Anglican, um, but she didn't really raise him religious, so he just wasn't brought up with any kind of religion. He was not a believer. Sure, he had thought about religion over his life, but here he is at 40 years old, and he's sitting in that bathtub, completely non-religious, completely a non-believer, and he's thinking about his grandfather, who he had loved, who died when he was 18 years old. And he was thinking about how he still feels like his grandfather isn't gone, like that he's dead, but he isn't gone. He's thinking, but I don't believe in the afterlife. And so there's an inconsistency here, and he's just kind of searching, looking for meaning. And he felt this desire to read the Bible for some reason. So he went straight out and bought one. He went out and bought this Bible, and he started reading it. Starting, he read the book of Romans, and he, and he starts reading through the Bible, and it completely changed his life. Suchet became a follower of Jesus, and in the Bible he found what he had been looking for. He found Jesus Christ, and he began to follow him. David Suchet described Jesus as my best friend. And as an actor, that's a wonderful thing to have, a wonderful person to have by your side day and night, my very, very best friend. And sometimes in the back of my mind, even when I'm performing, I know he's with me. I know he's holding my hand. The Bible is David Suchet's favorite book. In fact, you can actually listen to him reading the Bible because he's recorded, I think, a pretty popular audio version of the Bible. Uh, but it's so much more than just a book. The Bible is where David Suchet found Jesus. It's where Mr. Suchet found God, and he claims that that changed his life. Now, we're in a series called Dear Skeptic, where we're kind of dealing with questions that, that people ask or that they struggle with, they wrestle with. And a couple of years ago, we did a message on Scripture, on the reliability and the authority of Scripture. We talked about whether the Bible we have now is accurate as to what was originally written down. 
right? Were the things that they wrote then, the things that we have now, whether there were lots of mistakes in the Bible, uh, how we know they got the right books in the Bible, and and questions like that. If you want to uh, see or listen to that sermon, that's on seekingskeptics.com. Towards the bottom of the page, it's called uh, Skeptics Forum Number 4, The Reliability of Scripture, something like that. This time, we're going to talk about Scripture again, but we're going to work through a different question. And here's the question. How do we know that the Bible is inspired by God when it was written by people? How do we know that the Bible is inspired by God when it is written by people? Now, for me, the power of the Bible was very clear from a young age. When I was young, uh, I, w- I went to church. My dad was a pastor then. Some of you know he still is now. He's sleeping in the back if you um, want to look back there. I wish that I could laugh. Um, my brother and my sister and I, we would all go to church. We'd go on Sunday morning. We'd go on Sunday night. We'd go on Wednesday night. And we were there one night. I think it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. I don't remember. This was a long time ago. Uh, I, was, I was young at the time. And my brother and I were running around outside. We're playing. And for some reason, we have our Bibles in our hands because my parents would not let us ever not have a Bible in our no, I'm just kidding. That's not I don't know why we had our Bibles in our hands. It was weird. But I guess, you know, we had been in church, so we had our Bibles. And, and we're running around, we're playing, and, and, I, and I run up, and I jump, like, on my brother's back. I'm not sure what I was doing. I was messing with him or whatever, but I wasn't trying to hurt him. But apparently, you, you may remember, this is your hardcover Bibles. And as you know, the covers are really hard, and the corners, they're pretty sharp right? And so I jumped up and accidentally put the corner into the back of his arm, and it punched through his arm. Okay. Oh, stop saying, oh, he's such a wuss. Anyway, (laughs) I punched through the back of his arm. It went through the skin. I didn't know that this had happened. I, we were just playing and I had no idea, but apparently when you ram a Bible into the skin of the back of someone's arm, they can become very mad, very angry. Um, And that is, that is what he became. But I didn't know that the second it happened, I thought we're just playing around and whatever. So I'm, you know, sitting there thinking, having no idea that I've put a Bible through the back of my brother's arm. And meanwhile, he's thinking, I am going to horribly injure you. Um, I'm going to try to hurt you badly. So he turns around. It's like, and I jump at him, ah, you know, I did. That's what it looked like, I'm sure. And I, and, I, and I do the thing, and he's there, and he's, ah, you know. So he gets hurt, and the, he's thinking, he's got his Bible in his hand. He's thinking to himself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my brother here. And so he turns around, okay? He's got the Bible in his hand, and, he's, and he was definitely a bit more natural athlete than I was, okay? And, and, and he turns around with his Bible, and we're talking Randy Johnson, right? I mean, just all the way. I'm just standing over here like this. I got, hey, we're playing with Bibles. I don't know, right? And he turns around all the way back, and I mean, he comes full throw at the middle of my face, with that Bible. And I didn't know he was mad, so I had no idea it was coming. So I didn't put my hands up. Nothing, right? So that Bible comes at me, end over end, probably turned about once or twice. It was only like two feet away. And I mean, it hits me square. Boom. Bridge of the nose, okay? Bridge of the nose. Hits me square. Now, I would like to tell you that I did not cry. I'd like to say I didn't cry, but I when a Bible hits you at 110 miles an hour in the middle of your face, you cry. And I didn't just cry. I screamed like a baby. 
And I went around holding my nose like this. I'm sure I embarrassed my parents. It's all I ever did as a kid. <laughs> Next day, I had two huge black eyes, right? I mean, swollen shut black eyes. But here's the worst part of it, okay? The worst part is that that night later, I got spanked. After this happened, you couldn't tell yet that it was going to be as bad as it was. You know, I got spanked for accidentally hurting my brother. He was scot-free for completely purposely trying to end my life. <laughs> now you have some, yeah, some idea why I became a lawyer. I want some justice in this world. So anyway, the point is the Bible can be powerful for real, right? Not just in that way. It's powerful. It's true, right? That's what we say. But is it true? I mean, there's a real question. We're talking about people, right? The words of the Bible are written down by people. And people often make mistakes. For example, there's this question that was posed on a computer screen. If you look at the screens here, it says, can you read it? Are you sure you want to exist? as opposed to exit. No idea what happens if you push no, but I wouldn't. I mean, I would be like, no, I, you would never exit, right? Because you don't want to stop existing. Or this guy here uh, who decided to get a huge tattoo all the way up his inner arm, telling the world that he has no regrets. <laughs> Maybe one. Regret. Or this uh, ominous sign in the bathroom, employees must wash hands before living. Because as we all know, you haven't lived until you've washed your hands in a filthy bathroom. <laughs> but people make mistakes, right? People make mistakes. And why would the Bible be any different? I think that's a fair question. But here is the thing. The Bible's different in a couple of ways. One is, we don't think that the people who wrote the Bible were writing the same way the person who tattooed that guy's arm was writing. We believe that the people who wrote the Bible were chosen by God to write those words, and were inspired by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Now, what does it mean to be inspired by God? Well, the Bible uses the term God-breathed, God-breathed, that God inspired, that God breathed the Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good action. It's like God breathed the word through his servants, through the people who wrote the Bible. Not that these people were robots. That's not what he's talking about. God doesn't need robots. He uses people like you and me, but they were inspired. Inspiration. Sounds kind of like respiration, breathing, right? God putting into them what they needed to write. And if they were obedient to him and listening to the Holy Spirit, then they were able to be used with their regular old writing. This wasn't like gold tablets and they were floating in the air. These were guys regular writing with their regular utensils, writing these things down and God inspiring them in the same way the Holy Spirit works through us now. He worked through the writers of the Bible. Then he did so to reveal his own word to us. That's what the Bible is. That's what we believe it is. But some people think that because people were involved, that they must have brought in their own negative opinions, their own negative personal issues into the writing, and therefore the Bible is not true or the Bible is not trustworthy or something like that. Now, there's a guy named Greg Kokel, uh, who's an, an apologetics guy. He wrote a book called Tactics. And in this book, he asks some interesting questions for the person who has this issue. 
Hey, look, people brought their things and it was written by people. It can't be true. And this is one of some of the things he says. Do you have any books in your library or on your Kindle or Audible or whatever? Do you have any books there? Yeah, sure. Hopefully we have some books. Now, of all those books, how many of them were written by people? I'm, I'm guessing all of them. If you have one that was written by something other than a person, I would like to see it. Now, the next question is, do any of those books contain truth? Is there any truth in any of those books? Well, I would hope that there's some, right? There's, I'd hope that there's some truth. Do people always make mistakes when they write? Is it possible to write without making mistakes? Well, sure. People don't always make mistakes. The, the bathroom sign that we saw that said, wash hands before living, wouldn't be funny if the other 9,900,000 of them didn't say, wash hands before leaving, right? In other words, most people had to get it right for it to be funny that somebody got it wrong. Most of the time, we can do things accurately and correctly. Now, the last question you have to ask yourself is, do I believe in God? Because if I believe in God, and God is all-powerful, then certainly God is capable of using an obedient servant to write down the things that he wants to get out to us. Right? If you believe in God, it shouldn't be that hard to believe that God could inspire human beings to not put in their own biases and their own opinions and, and make mistakes and whatever, that they could actually put down what he wanted them to put down. Right? That's easy to believe in if you believe in God. So the real question isn't, oh, the Bible was written by people. The real question is, do you believe in God? Because if you believe in God, you believe that he would want to reveal himself to us and that if he wanted to, he could do it effectively. That's an easy place to go, right? People get things correct when they're writing all the time and they're not even God-breathed. They're not even God-breathed. We don't say for every book that comes out, we're not like, hey, that can't be true. It was written by a person. That's not what we do. We just assume books are written by people and we, and we assess them on whether they're true or not. In the case of the Bible, we have good reason to believe it's true and we have good reason to believe that it was inspired by God, god breathe. Now, if you think about it, if God cares about you and me, which is what the Bible says, if he really does, he would want to reveal himself to us. He would want us to know who he is, what he expects of us, how much he loves us, and so on. Now, he does this through nature. We get to see it in that way, but he also does it through his word and through personal revelation. Where you're just in relationship with him, and he's letting you know what he thinks about you. Okay, but the Bible is an obvious thing that God would use. And if God would use it, he would know how to make it perfect. He would know how to make it perfect. Now think about this. The Bible is not just like this single narrative book. It's not just one book. It's actually 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40-plus writers in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and is completely harmonious from the beginning to the end, okay? Now that's complicated. 66 different books written at different times by different people in different professions in different places of the world over 1,500 years in three different languages. And yet the harmony from the beginning to the end is fascinating, complex, and amazing. Now I've written one book. Thank you, mom, for reading that. <laughs> I wish that was just a joke. Um, no. I've written one book by one person in one language at one time, and it's probably not even harmonious from beginning to end. The Bible, you've seen how big of a book it is. That's why some of you are scared to read it, I think, and we can kind of be like, oh, there's so much there. It's huge. And yet every word from the beginning to the end flows in a perfect, in a perfect harmony. 
Now that is complicated. How do you coordinate that kind of harmony with that many variables? Well, you don't. You don't. Humans don't do that. It's only God who can do that. Now, if that's not enough, if that's not enough for you, how about fulfilled prophecy? Okay, people can write books, but people rarely predict the future accurately. If they did, we would have, you know, everyone would make money on the stock market, we'd all win the lottery, all that kind of stuff, right? People don't usually predict the future accurately, or if they do, it's a lucky guess. But in the Bible, you have tons and tons and tons of prophecies that are predicted here, and then hundreds of later, years later come true to the letter. Now, there's a guy named Peter Stoner, who was chairman of the mathematics and astronomy department at Pasadena City College and the chairman of the science division at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, okay? So you're talking uber nerd. Total super math nerd, like probably wore Star Trek t-shirts, no offense, Glenn, but <laughs> nerd, right? This guy knows his math. And he wrote a book, and in part of that book, he took the time to calculate the odds of just eight of the prophecies of Jesus Christ that were written about Jesus Christ happening by chance. Uh, so he wrote a book, right? Part of this book, he calculates the odds of these prophecies. He just took eight prophecies about Jesus Christ and calculated the odds of those eight things happening randomly by chance, right? Of them being right about one person randomly by chance. Now, there's a guy named Dr. Harold Hartseer. He was an officer of the American Scientific Affiliation. He wrote a foreword the, for the book and he said, look, the book and the findings and the math have been carefully reviewed by his organization and that the mathematical analysis is what he says. The mathematical analysis included is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound and that Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. So the math is right. These are the eight prophecies he chose. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. A messenger will prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah will enter Jerusalem as a king riding on a donkey. The Messiah will be betrayed by a friend and suffer wounds in his hands. The Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The betrayal money will be used to purchase a potter's field. The Messiah will remain silent while he is afflicted. The Messiah will die by having his hands and feet pierced. Okay, all of these prophecies, these eight prophecies, are hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born. Hundreds of years, these things were said. Now he says, what are the odds? What are the odds that all eight of these would be true about one man randomly? The number he came up with was one in 10 to the 17th, or the number you see on the screen, okay? For you math nerds, one in 100 quadrillion, okay? One in 100 quadrillion. Now, your odds of winning the Mega Millions this week, as you may know, it's gone up to $1.6 billion, okay? Your odds of winning that, buying a ticket, just random numbers, and winning that are one in 302,575,350. Now, I want you to think about this. Just think about this. If my math is right, and I used a calculator, you are 330,496,189 times more likely 
to win the 1.6 billion in the mega millions this week than the Bible was likely to get those eight prophecies correct randomly. Those are some pretty serious numbers. This is how Stoner illustrated the numbers. He said, imagine being in Texas. Now, Texas is big. Just ask them. They'll tell you. Okay? I have basically driven all the way across Texas before. You, want, you think this sermon's boring. Go drive across Texas. Okay? And a lot of it is just flat. I mean, you, if your dog ran away, you could watch him for three days. When you look really, really hard like this, you can see the back of your head. That's how flat it is. Okay. It says, imagine taking a silver dollar. Now, I don't have a silver dollar with me because I'm a pastor. Um, no, I didn't have one. I would have brought one in. But imagine taking a silver dollar. You all know what a silver dollar looks like, right? And you take a marker and you put a check mark on that silver dollar. Now, you mix it in with a bunch of other silver dollars. How many silver dollars? Enough to cover the entire state of Texas. Knee high in silver dollars, okay? The whole state, humongous state, up to your knee in silver dollars, and you have one in there that's got a check mark on it. Then I put a blindfold. I say, Hunter, come here. I put a blindfold on Hunter, and I say, walk into Texas somewhere, pick out one silver dollar, and the chance of him picking the one out with a check mark on it are the chances of these eight prophecies coming true about the Messiah. Here's the thing that's really crazy. He chose eight to do this math, but there are 108 that came true, that were predicted and came true about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm no math major, but if you are a math major, you should be wiping your little foggy glasses off and shaking your pocket protector <laughs> over this. I'm just kidding about making fun of me. I love math. Of course, that probably doesn't make you think they're not nerds. My wife is a math teacher, and she's definitely not nerdy. Um, and so, no, listen, if you understand numbers, if you understand math, you understand that it is simply impossible. It is impossible for the Bible to have accurately foretold the future in the way that it has. And I'm just talking about the, the, the ones about Jesus. There are ones about what would happen with Judaism. There are ones about what would happen later in the future with, with different kingdoms and Alexander the Great and all, these, and all this crazy stuff. I just, I just picked a few. And you can see that the odds are astronomical against the Bible being made up. Pretty amazing teaching, wasn't it? And we're just getting started. Next time, Pastor David will take a look at the miracles in the Bible and a lot more. You won't want to miss it. Remember, as Pastor David mentioned, there are a lot of other messages responding to all kinds of questions and objections to the Christian faith at SeekingSkeptics.com. So if there's other questions you have, be sure to check that out. Again, it's SeekingSkeptics.com. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be here next time for more great Bible teaching here on Contemplate.